Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Oral Presentations, Episode 8. Oh yeah, Episode 8, Apollo 8. Like it's meant to be, you know what I'm saying? I think the actual title of this one is going to be Apollo 8 Road Trip. Alright, so here's... The only the reason I picked this one is because the only rocket ship knowledge I have about any of this is from the movie Apollo 13 with Tom Hanks. I have... It's like embarrassing to me, but I don't really talk about it much, but all like, because I live in America and I kind of know we went to the moon. Like I just take full credit for acting like I know shit about what even happened at all. And all I really know is that like Gary Sinise got sick in that movie. I, I know like whoever Gary Sinise was playing for Apollo 13 got sick. And then I think they might have to drink their own pee at some point. I don't really know. But here's what I'm saying is that. These historical events in America were so important, and I know, like, almost nothing about it. So I was like, all right, well, let's look into the Apollo program. What the fuck was even going on there? So I started there, and I landed on Apollo 8 because it's criminally undervalued, in my point. Like, nobody – there's no Apollo 8 movie. There's no – there's Apollo 13. Some people know about Apollo 11 was where dudes walked on the moon. Apollo 8 was wild, but nobody talks about it. So I was like, I'm going to look into this one. Let's see what's going on here. I also I also like this topic because this was I have like a theory that America as a country used to do big cool stuff that was like more or less apolitical and like going to the moon is a great example of that. There was just like a big cool thing. The whole country was like we're all all right, we're going to the moon and nobody talked about like what's it going to cost, whatever else. Like people did, but it's still America would pick big things to do. And then we'd try to do them. And sometimes it worked out, sometimes it didn't. But we would go for it all together. It's like a science mission. We're going to, as a, a as a country and as a planet, we're going to go try to hang out on the, on the fucking moon. We're going to go to the moon. How about that? And I think that that's, we haven't really done a big cool thing in a while. And it's kind of lost. But especially in the story of Apollo 8, there's like a theme of, like a unifying vibe that all of America got, even though at the time, because this took place in 1968, I mean, America was pretty fucked up. Like there was a lot of Vietnam War was going on. There was like race riots. It was a socially pretty big mess going on. But at the same time, we're trying to go to the moon and everybody's psyched on it. So let's, our, our story begins, a little bit of background on the space race. So if you don't know anything about any of this, so after World War II, Soviet Union got nuclear weapons. So there was the threat that now only the United States and the Soviet Union have nuclear weapons. You know, they might blow up the whole fucking earth, right? Whoops. Also, while that's happening, so everybody knows we got nuclear weapons, both sides. Everybody might get incinerated. It might be the movie The Road. As that's going on, people start trying to fuck around going into outer space, which is... First off, awesome, just for prestige, the idea that you can talk shit and be like, what's up, send a man into space, right? That's just, that's cool. But also, there's the threat of weaponizing this space technology, so instead of having to shoot a missile from a boat onto your country, we could just put a nuclear weapon on a satellite, spin that bitch over your country, drop it down. Whoops, there it goes, right? So everybody was scared. Not only not only did we want to look like the cooler of the two superpowers, we also wanted the to be able to weaponize the technology we would learn from going to space and going to the moon to be able to keep nuclear supremacy, to be able to keep the world in check so hopefully everything doesn't blow the fuck up. So this the whole thing kicks off like there's been some space exploration, but May 25th, 1961 is when John F. Kennedy makes a speech to Congress. And in this speech, John F. Kennedy goes, we choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they're easy, yo, but because they are hard. He's talking mad shit. National television. They, he knows the Russians going to say it. He's throwing it down, dude. We're going to the motherfucking moon, dude. Don't. Less than a decade, dude. It's on. It's on. Right? Loved it. I, I watched speech, dude. Get fired up. I can, I'm going to get fired up during this episode. I just like it as a thing. Um, all right. So JFK says that. And everybody sees him say it. And they're like, damn, here we go. But then there's also the reality of like, oh, fuck. We are losing the space race right now, though. We are getting our asses whooped. 
because up until this point, the Soviet Union had was crushing it. They had all the good firsts. They had the first man in orbit. They had the first long duration flight. They they put a lady in space, first lady in space, fucking first space walk outside of a space shuttle in space. They they had all these things. They were they were crushing it early on, and I kind of have a theory that they were crushing it early on because of the same thing I mentioned in the Magnitogorsk episode, where like just historically. Russia and the Soviet Union has been really good at just throwing people at a problem. Like in World War II, they just threw a bunch of dudes. Some of them didn't have guns. It was just like, we got millions of people, dude. Go for it. And I think at least that attitude of like, I'm going to send it, fuck it, put a dude in there. The uh, the willingness to fail and not being so scared of like sacrificing uh, life a little bit, you know. And also being able to just readily trust their population to understand that, you know, some guys are going to fucking die. All right. And it's going to be on TV. So just heads up on that. I think Russia was more inclined to just be like, yeah, I'm going for it, dude. Let's go. And they were shooting a ton of monkeys into space, too. Yeah. <laughs> it was a bad time to be a monkey in the Soviet Union in 1960s. <laughs> dude, you you might get shot up into space, dude. The, they were they were into it. They were flinging monkeys into space. <laughs> All right, so JFK says that shit, uh, but we all know we're losing. But then November 22nd, 1963, JFK is assassinated. JFK gets his wig split, 1963. It's public. It's done by Lee Harvey Oswald, who has connections to the Communist Party. He lived in Russia for a minute. People kind of take that as a sign of like, oh, it's all the way on now. You remember what that guy said? Dude, they might have just killed our fucking president on TV, man. I'll tell you what, we're going to the moon, dude. And then it's solidified, man. JFK almost becomes like a martyr to the space program because of the speech he made. So we're, I'll tell you, we're going. I don't know if we're going to make it or not, but we're going to figure it out. And that's when the Apollo program under the organization NASA, which I found out is an acronym for National Aeronautics and Space Administration. Love that. Love acronyms, dude. NASA, National Aeronautics Space Administration. I need work on being able to say the long version of it, but NASA means something. So they make the Apollo mission series. Now, the Apollo program was uh, originally planned to get to the moon by the 11th mission. So the program itself is a serialized number of missions that will slowly and step-by-step methodically increase the technical capabilities of the United States under the organization of NASA to be able to successfully send a man to the moon, get out of the spaceship, walk on the moon, do a jumping jack, get back in, come back home. That's the ultimate goal. But we need all these missions to be able to fucking get that technical capability because right now we're kind of having a hard time of it. I don't know if you know, but the Russians are sending a bunch of chimps up there. They sent they sent a lady up there already. We're We're kind of behind. So... NASA works on the technical capabilities of how we get the space for a number of years, right? So it starts in 62, JFK kicks it off, he's killed in 63, everybody knuckles down, we're like, we're going to the fucking moon, right? There are some setbacks. In 1967, the Apollo 1 test, which is five years after the initial goal was set, so it's 67, we're already kind of coming up against it a little bit here, 1970's creeping up, right? So Apollo 1, all right, late start, but... Maybe it's like a bamboo tree thing where like bamboo trees take like five years to grow 90 feet, but they don't grow at all for the first four and a half years. But then in that last six months, they grow 50 feet tall. I think that's maybe what the Apollo program was hoping on here because they they've already spent five years fucking thinking. So Apollo one test. Okay, here we go. Unfortunately, a fire in the test for the flight capsule of Apollo one incinerates all the crew huge fire burn to death three dudes super sad and this is apollo one and it's 1967 and the news knows about this so the entire american public knows about this so everybody's kind of like oh my fucking god i don't know if we're gonna get to the moon by 1970 dude they just those dudes just burned up and they weren't even off the ground they were just doing a test this is not looking good all right so after the Apollo 1 flight test capsule incinerates three dudes, 
they're like, oh, God. And the the head of NASA gets really fucking skittish at this point because, like, they're not going to shut the program down, but we can't have another one of these or else they're going to shut this fucking program down. We really got to be careful. Mistakes happen. We knew this is dangerous work, but we can't be having another one of those. So the Russians move a large missile. We see from photos from spy set, uh, from, from spy plane photos that the Russians move a, a rocket large enough that we don't know what it is, and it might be going to the moon. They move it into position for an alleged launch in December at the end of, uh, I believe, 1968, or leading up to the end of 1968. And NASA's like, oh, fuck, dude. They are going to go to the moon. They're going to beat us. What are we doing? So this is when the Apollo 8 mission is sanctioned. And the Apollo 8 mission wasn't originally supposed to be the mission it turned into, but NASA was scared of that rocket moving into position for the Soviet Union. We can't lose this, man. If they get to the moon first, then the moon will always be Russian from here on out. Like, the whole history of the moon is is riding on who gets there first. It's either going to be capitalist American moon, or it's going to be communist Soviet Union moon, and we can't take that L. We cannot take that L publicly. We have got to do something, dude. They are moving that thing into position. That's when the Apollo 8 mission comes around. So they're like, all right, look, we got some technical problems, all right? The idea of going to the moon, getting out, doing some calisthenics and coming back. There's no fucking way we're doing that right now, okay? Let me make you a deal. Why don't we just blast off and then we go to the moon and then we run some laps around the outside of the moon. We can run laps, dude. We've ran laps before. We run laps on the Earth. Don't worry about it. And we come back home, blast off, go to the moon, run laps, blast off back, break that orbit, come back to Earth. Technically, we got to the moon first, dude. Fuck this landed on the moon thing. Our lunar lander looks like it's made out of Lincoln Logs, dude. That thing is not going to work. It is a giant broken gold spider. Fuck that thing. Leave it at home. Let's just play run the bases so we can claim the moon. Do you think we can do that? Head of NASA's like, ah, fuck, that is crazy, man. That is, he is quoted as saying that is, that is, I think he said that is crazy, that is insane. That is insanity, but I'm not saying don't do it. That's a pretty cool boss. That's a pretty cool boss right there. Being like, yeah, that's a wild plan. All right, start working on it. Let's just see. Look, I'm not saying no, okay? I'm not telling you no. Just don't tell me about it and start doing research, all right? Let me know what we can do. So they start doing research on if this is even possible, which brings us to the Saturn V rocket. I have to explain the car they were going to drive to the moon <laughs> for you to be able to understand how dangerous this was. All right, so the Saturn V rocket is huge, dude. It's so big, and so much of it is brand new for this mission. Like, this is not just, like, the first mission for a Saturn V rocket. Like, we're putting dudes into space going to the moon for the first time on this rocket, which, like, we say it works, but it's been it's been a lot of problems making it, and we haven't really tested it a whole lot. So this is risky. Like, everything's new, which is why it was so dangerous. So the Saturn V rocket is a three-stage rocket. Now, three stages in regards to the mission. So the mission, stage one, is blast off from Earth. Stage two is called uh, TLI, which is trans or what is that called? Yeah, TLI, translunar initiation, which means you're going to break Earth's orbit and you're going to shoot a spaceship, hopefully towards the moon. That's that's the jump off point where we have never done this shit before, guys. So we're going to blast off stage one. Stage two, translunar. Where we go? We got to go. We're going to the moon. And then stage three is another set of engines that they're going to have to need to use if they can get to the moon, do 10 laps around the moon like they planned. Stage three, they have to have an engine work to break that orbit of the moon to get the fuck back to Earth. Even that, how complicated does that sound? This isn't. This gets so many more layers of this should fuck up. So you got three stages already. You need to have three separate sets of engines at work, and the last set of engines needs to work more than once, to be honest with you, because we got to be able to slow down once we get to the moon to be able to lock into an orbit on the moon, and then we got to fire it again to get the fuck away from the moon. 
So the third set of engines has to work multiple times. The Saturn V rocket's first stage engines were new. They were developed. We needed a powerful... This is the, this is the biggest spaceship designed yet, so we need the most powerful engines to be able to do it, and we're going to need five of them, guys. So the F1 engine, which controlled the first stage, which is blast-off, to get all that weight, because this rocket's heavy as fuck, dude. We're going to the moon. You need some power. <laughs> Gotta break gravity. So there's five of the strongest engines ever made, and development of those engines was massively difficult to begin with, because those engines are ten times more powerful than the last ones that are the second closest one. These engines are so powerful, we're not sure what this is going to look like when we set them off. But, I mean, according to my slide rule and this algebra I did, we should be okay. So in development of the F1 engines, they kept blowing them up. They just kept blowing them up. And the astronauts know this is happening while this is happening. The astronauts that we're going to get to that have to fly this fucking thing, the guys who have to drive this ship, they know that, like, oh, that thing blew up yesterday, huh? The F1 engine, they couldn't, they had, uh, they called it combustion instability. So when you light a rocket and it's going and it's going to push something, it's blowing all that fucking flame and exhaust down. The problem they had is that it would go on and then the flame, like if you ever had a candle before, if you have a candle flame in front of you and you blow on it, how that candle flame moves back and forth. Okay, so the F1 rocket engine is like that candle flame, but it's going like 2,000 times a minute, and it's a fucking rocket, okay? It's going to blow up. That combustion instability rattles around, boom, dude, blows up. Astronauts see it. Everybody's terrified. They can't fix this problem. Controversial what they go with here, but they ask a man named uh, Werner Von Braun, um, you know, uh, don't look at where, don't, just don't look at his resume. The guy knows what he's doing. I'm not sure where he worked before this. He's, uh, you know, he's, he's a guy that we were, yeah, we work with him. His name is Werner von Braun. He was, uh, he was the chief rocket scientist for Nazi Germany during World War II. He designed the V2 rocket, which would then, uh, kill hundreds of Britons. Uh, but. You know, uh, in the past, I guess. And, hey, we don't know how to fix this fucking engine. Can you just take a look at it? Guy that we don't really want to talk about uh, where he used to work at. So, Werner von Braun is like, oh, yeah, I had this problem when I was working on another thing. You know, that other thing I was working on, I had a very similar problem. And then he explains that his V2 rocket had 12 engines that were small and they were all angled so the exhaust would even itself out. Now, we can't do that because that's too complex for these giant engines that are blown up already. Please don't make this more complex. So how they solve it is that they put copper baffles, which is a way to uh, like divide the exhaust as it comes out of the rocket to evenly distribute it so then it can blow down in like an even pattern and not do that candle flick thing that'll blow it up and kill everybody. So that's how they fixed that problem, which I thought was really impressive, but controversial. He got to work on that, you know, not pointing fingers here, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Space race, nuclear wars at risk. I mean, I guess, yeah, hire the guy. I don't know. Just don't, just don't put him like, don't, don't put him in like the corporate handout book. All right. Just don't have his picture in there. So that's the, that's the first stage. And there was technical problems there. The second stage, after they get off the fucking Earth, they got to do the thing where they, the second stage, which is, all right, dude, we're going to blast off rockets and we're going to officially leave Earth's orbit and we're going to go towards the moon. Oh, so that's the second stage of the Saturn rocket. Now that the problem with this development is that they had two different types of fuel and those two different types of fuel were in two different types of tanks. And they were 100 degrees different from each other. Just the nature of the fuels. One was 100 degrees more than the other one. And so if you put... And they're combustible. So they're in two separate tanks. So hopefully they don't make out during the voyage and blow everybody up and kill everybody. Make everybody sad. But spaceship's too heavy. We got to do something about this. So the elegant fix they find for this problem, you got two tanks, you got two different types of fuel in the second middle chunk and like the torso of the rocket. They just take... They take one of the tanks out and they just put the one fuel in the rocket itself. 
So now instead of having two separate tanks with two layers in front, uh, in in between these two very combustible fuels that are a hundred degrees different from one another, you you got them both in the same torso, but it only has one, and it's less than an inch of material in between these two highly combustible, hundred degree different liquids. That's the fix they find to cut the weight down. You know, if you're an astronaut, I don't even know, just don't tell me about that part. Just don't tell me about how this middle could just blow up and it's less than an inch of some sort of material to keep these two liquids from making out and killing me and me, I never see my wife again. So there's problems in the second stage. Third stage, we're not even, and they threw out the lunar lander. We're, we're, not, we're not even talking about that. The problems with that are insane and we can't even fix that. But the third stage is going to be when you're flying around the moon 10 times, that, that engine you need to start and then restart again to break the, the moon's fucking orbit, that's the third stage. Now, there's problems with that because they test the third stage, right? And it's getting pretty close to when they want to do this. They're testing it. Entire thing fucking explodes. <laughs> huge, huge explosion. And they thought they were, like, pretty good. This was like a test towards the end of like, all right, this is going pretty well. Boom. Oh, fuck. What? So they go and they, they collect all the wreckage. And they're like, I don't know why this blew up. This was a problem. But they find a sphere that broke apart. And it, it was holding compressed gas. So they find a sphere that broke apart in a number of different ways. But it broke apart symmetrically during like the weld that put the two halves together to make an orb. So whatever, they're like, oh, this might be the problem. I think it blew the fuck apart. They go and they analyze it, and they're like, yeah, they welded this with some sort of material that can't hold up to the vibration and strength of what they're going to be subjected to. So we have to weld these things with a different material. And moving forward, we're going to use this technology for all of our space missions. These are bad welds. So they go to try to fix the welding on stage three. They can't do it. It, they work on it for like three weeks. And they're like, I can't, we can't fucking, what is this? So NASA then ha- is forced to go in and decon- take apart the welders and rebuild them in a way that can do the welding that they need to do for the type of stress that these metals are going to be under. Again, the amount of unpredictable learning, that was one thing I don't know if I mentioned up top, but because of this project, the amount of unpredictable learning that and technology that comes out of going after something fucking huge like going to the moon, you can't pitch this in like a budget meeting before you even start the mission. You're not going to be able to predict it like, oh, we're going to make new welders, definitely, and also that F1 uh, engine is going to be brand new technology we'll move forward with. They also invent a keypad during the Apollo 8 construction of the Saturn V rocket, like an interface. They have to invent that because... The process of getting into orbit and and not fucking it up, because here's the thing. When you shoot towards the moon, you can either miss the moon totally, and then you're flying off to Vulcan. You don't know where you're going. Or you can also hit the moon. Like, these guys can also just, like, slam into the moon with full radio contact. So that's another problem you got to look at. Because, and then you'll hear... These dudes will know they're going to hit the moon and will be able to talk to you the whole time because you won't be on the far side of the moon. You'll have radio communication, so you'll have three astronauts on live TV being like, all right, about to about to hit the moon. Sorry, I love my wife and my kids. I am going to fucking slam into the moon. Here we go. That's horrific, right? The stakes are huge here. So they have to invent a keypad and a computer to be able to navigate going around the, the moon's orbit. Because even though the three astronauts are test pilots and the, some of the best pilots on Earth, they still can't. The NASA doesn't want to trust them with being able to fly around the moon and do it correctly because it's 16 separate rockets to be able to slow the thing down. Correct. So they're like, dude, we got to use a computer. I know you're confident, but we got to use a computer on this one. So they had to invent a computer small enough. It was a totally different thing. It was a total because up until now. Computers were the size of warehouses. They were huge, but it was like, all right, well, we need a computer to go on this fucking spaceship. I'm going to give you a cubic meter. You got to be able to fill it. That You get all that computer space, but that's got to be able to do all these tasks for us. So because of that, the unpredictable learning and technology that comes out of that, they had to invent 
a new type of computing. They ha- and they had to invent a way for the astronauts to be able to talk to the computers to be able to have the rockets fire correctly. And that's where the invention of a keypad came in, like a keyboard. And then they had to invent like computer language that would work there. And the guy who invented the computer language for this Apollo 8 mission patterned it off of, because I think he was Argentinian and he learned English, so he patterned the computer language off of learning the English language, so all the inputs would be like noun, verb. He did it with sentence structure. The amount of elegant solutions to be able to make this mission even kind of happen is so impressive. Also, I like doing Apollo 8 because I don't think anybody listening really knows how this ends. Everybody knows how Apollo 11 ends and Apollo 13 ends, but like in the back of your mind, you know some of these missions blew up and everybody died, right? You don't know if that's one of these or not. But all this technology is on board. They're doing the best they can. That's the Saturn V rocket, three-stage moon mission, which brings us to... All right, so the Saturn V rocket's a little moody. We'll call it that. Flight Operations Director of NASA... Behind the astronauts' back puts the probability of a safe return of the astronauts at, quote-unquote, 50-50. So let's find out who's driving this thing, huh? The crew is three dudes. Captain of the crew, Frank Borman. This is the Bruce Willis character from Armageddon in this mission. Frank Borman's a West Point graduate. He knows that he understands that this is a battle of ideologies. This isn't just a a space mission. This isn't just a military mission. This is a battle between communism and capitalism, and he understands what's at stake here. He also cares about his men as much as he can. Frank Borman, they were like, we're going to bring a TV camera, right? And Frank Borman was like, there's no fucking way I'm bringing a TV camera if it's going to endanger the men's lives. There's no way. I won't do it. I'll back out of it. Like, he had his dude's backs unconditionally. Frank Borman proves himself to be an awesome leader this whole time. He's the dad of the mission. Bill Anders, second astronaut. This is his, this is Bill Anders first mission to space. Frank Borman's been out there before. Bill Anders has never been to space before. And this is a pretty big step. He's going to be one of the three dudes to fucking go play, run the bases with the moon. First space mission. He's technically trained to be a lunar lander pilot. But they're not bringing the lunar lander, so he doesn't have to do that. So his primary responsibility is to survey the moon, take pictures, go to space for the first time. That guy had to be fucking shit in his pants. Your first mission to space is to the moon. My personal favorite of the astronauts and the third member of the crew, guy named James Lovell Jr. Now, it's noted that James Lovell Jr. was of a different personality type than Frank and Bill. James is more of a laid-back dude. And he was the, he's the actual driver. He's the command module navigator. And James Lovell Jr. at this point in time is the gold medal current champion of humans most amount of time spent in space. James Lovell Jr. has been to space a shitload and he's fine with it. As opposed to Bill Anders, who this is his first time. So I'm going to guess that, and these dudes are funny too. You'll find out like these dudes all had a sense of humor to them. I bet James Lovell Jr. was talking shit to Bill Anders for most of this mission. I bet even before they they put, they took off in the meetings and shit, James Lovell Jr. just being like, "Hey, Bill, Bill, you ready to go? Yeah, you know we're gonna go seventeen thousand miles an hour soon. You ready for that? Yo, seventeen thousand miles. Are you ready for that?" And Bill's like, "Oh, fuck, <laughs> no, stop." Like, hey, get ready, dude. You're going to shit your space suit. <laughs> and Frank Borman fucking tells the kids in the back to shut up. That's the dynamic I think was at play here in the crew, where Frank's the dad, and then James is making fun of Bill the whole time, and Bill's just there trying to take pictures. And he's like, oh, fuck, I'm so scared. <laughs> All right, so where we've already kind of covered this. Where was the mission going to? Total distance. Like, we were going... 230,000 miles to the moon, guys. That's where we're going. It's a little, it's a long road trip here. So the phase we're going to do, we're going to blast off. We're going to circle the earth. Then we're going to break the orbit of the earth. And we're going to shoot our fucking spaceship and our bodies. And our, our feet are going to jettison towards the moon. Are you ready for that? Your body is going to fly towards the moon. Once we get to the moon... We're going to shoot those rockets so we neither hit the moon nor fly into space. 
and die alone after we run out of ash, like rations and eat each other. Then we're going to circle the moon 10 times, take some pictures. And the fifth step, we're going to break the moon's orbit. We're going to come on back home. I'm telling you, it's going to be fine. I heard our boss said 50, 50. I've heard that was just a rumor. I don't want to think about it. This was, this was so ambitious. They just had in 67, they had that thing burn everybody to death on the ground. And they're ready to go on this. We're going to the moon, dude. Ambition. The country was just like, we're fucking going. You see, our president said that shit, and then he got shot in the head. We're doing this. Oh, my God. And also, they trusted the American public to watch this live. That's another thing I think is really cool about this, is that when all this was happening, everybody, everybody knew how dangerous this was, but they still broadcast it on live TV. Because they trusted the American public to understand that, like, look, this is important, but it's also very dangerous. And you may watch a thing where three guys die on TV. Like, they had the face, like, just to show, look, we're going to have the TV program. It's kind of a face of death video, maybe. Or it might be one of the greatest moments in human history. Either way, we're going to run it. Walter Cronkite, we got you. That's who they had to do it. And he was a perfect dude for it. All the clips of Walter Cronkite, he just killed it the whole time. All right. I would actually like to put it in a sidebar here because when I was doing research on this, huge shout out to the wives of the astronauts of this mission. They did interviews and I was watching them and dude, the way, like the big time, especially Frank Borman's wife and Bill Anders' wife too, when they interviewed him, now they're older women now, but they interviewed him and Frank Borman's wife was, is very funny. So she tells a story of when Frank Borman, they told him that he was going to go to the moon. And it was August, and the mission was set for December, right? So Frank Borman comes home, and he's like, hey, babe, I'm, I'm going to go to the moon in December. Uh, what do you think about that? And Frank Borman's wife was like, uh, it's August. December? The moon? <laughs> Just to make sure, but here's the thing, she was just making sure that, that he was like, he knew what he was doing. She wasn't telling him no, and that's what I love about these wives. Oh my God, the big time, dude, total babe energy. That the, cause I, I've, doing research on this, I thought about like, if I was one of these astronauts, how the fuck would I have the balls to get in a space shuttle? I know how fucked up the Saturn V rocket is. How do I have the balls to get in this, this space engine, dude? What am I doing? And then when they interviewed the wives, it kind of made sense to me because, and I'll cite Patrice O'Neill on this because I heard him talk about it in like 2014 on a radio program. He was talking about Rocky Three about, and if you've ever seen Rocky Three, so Rocky almost quits boxing because Adrian, his wife, is in the hospital and she's all fucked up, dude. Right? So there's a scene where Rocky is at Adrian's bedside and he's like, oh, I'm going to quit boxing. I'll just love you. I'll just be with you. I'll just Because she's always been like worried about him boxing and stuff you know and getting hurt so he's saying all that shit and she's barely awake and then she leans into him she was like i just need you to do one thing for me and take a beat and like win and dude you watch that scene and even as patrice described it like ooh, you fired up you got total babe energy behind you just being like babe i know this is you and i love that person that's probably why this is why you're doing this is part of the reason i fell in love with you i knew this one i met you now, am I scared? Yes. But, babe, I love you. You got to go to the moon. You are going to the moon, dude. Watch that clip from Rocky Three is so good. Just, uh, I'm going to quit. I need you to do one thing for me. I need you to win. And then the trainer, Mickey's in the background. Just that old Irish dude looks like shit who's just like, he hears that. And he's like, what are we waiting for? That's what I'm saying. That's what Frank Borman went home to. And, that dude, that's total babe energy. That's how you get that energy to get up in that fucking rocket ship. And you're like, I'm going, dude. I'm going today. When are we going? December? I can't wait. I can't wait. My babe knows. She knows. I got kids. She's like, don't even worry about me, babe. I love you. You're going to the moon. I knew this when I met you. I'm going to be so scared, though. I'll tell you that much. But I can't wait to see you when you get back. Oh, total babe energy. Sidebar. Shout out. Also, Bill Anders' wife was great, too. She was on camera. And she was like... Yeah, we knew we were military wives. If they weren't going to be doing this, they would have been Vietnam flying missions. It is what it is. And then before they left, dude, the night before or like in the upcoming days before the astronauts actually went on this mission, they all went to D.C. for a dinner of like, hey, hey, look at these astronauts going. And the astronauts brought their wives and Bill Anders' wife. 
was like, you shouldn't fucking be here. You're going to get sick, okay? You're going to get sick, and you're going to be in fucking space, and you're not going to come home to me. Dude, I love that so much that, like, Bill Anderson doesn't give a shit about Washington, D.C., doesn't care about anything, dude. Total babe energy. Just like, look, you want me to accept this? I got your back. We should not be at this dinner. People are coughing. What the fuck, Bill? And also at that dinner, which I really liked, Bill Anders gave a series of cassette tapes to, uh, or a series of tapes to his wife. Because he was like, look, I know there's a good chance I'm not going to come home to the boys again. So these are, these are tapes for you and them. Now I love you. It's the last time I see you. Dude, how can you not love this story? These dudes know the Saturn V is fucked up. They know this is 50-50 at best. But they're going. And they're going for something that's bigger than them. And, they're, and their babes are behind them. They know. They got righteous. They are righteous in what they're doing. And if it works out, it works out. And if not, it's not. But either way, how do you not love this story? We haven't even gotten off the fucking ground yet. I love this story so much. Oh, my God. All right. So it's December 21st, 1968. This is launch day. Let's go. We're going. The New York Times calls these three men the Columbuses of space. This is huge. We're going to the moon. NASA watches. First stage blast off. Those Saturn, those F1 engines. Hold up. Everything's fine. Gorgeous. Everybody celebrates. Here we go. Here we go. First stage worked, right? All right, so Apollo 8 is in space, in orbit. It's only 115 miles above the Earth right now. And it's got to go so much farther. It was described as like orbiting the Earth is like being the fuzz of a peach. That's how far away from the Earth you are. And these guys got to go. Like that's 115 miles. These guys have to go 230,000 miles to the moon and then do some laps. All right, but they're up. They're up. We all right. And now comes the time for translunar injection. That's second phase rockets. We're going to fire them off. This is point over turn, dude. We're getting out of orbit. We're going to the fucking moon. Here we go. Right? What about those fuel cells that are close together? Is this shit going to work? That's what everybody, everybody back at NASA is worried. But they're like, all right, you go for translunar injection. Here we go. There's no way that Jim Lovell didn't talk a little shit to Bill Anders right before this happened. Like, you fucking ready, Bill? Boom. Translunar injection works. Totally works. We're flying. We're free. Here we go. We're free. Going to the moon. Oh, fuck. Right? It works. Three days. They're just sailing to the moon through space. Farther away from the Earth than any human being has ever been before. Three days. They approach the moon. All right, they're coming in, which must have been terrifying if you can see it, because there's no way to judge whether or not you're going to hit that fucking thing. So here it comes. We're approaching the moon. All right, we got to fire those rockets, but we're not going to have radio communication with you guys with back home while we fire the rockets. I'm sorry. We're going to start that computer you guys made, but it's going to be on the dark side of the moon. Nobody in Houston or NASA or anybody is going to know if this shit works or not for 36 minutes because that's how long it takes to get around the ass end of the moon. So if this rocket works, we'll talk to you in 36 minutes. If not, please tell my wife and kids I love them. Okay, here we go. Three, two, one. That was the decision that every part of this is terrifying if you're one of these dudes. Every part. But... They're like, all right, we're going to fire off our rockets. Houston, we're going to go ahead and fire them off. Here we go. I'll see you in 36 minutes. Click. And then for 36 minutes, everybody back at Houston and NASA is just chilling. Smoking chain cigarettes. Smoking a pack of cigarettes in 36 minutes, I bet. Just going through it. Oh, I thought this was like a fun fact that the uh, Apollo 8, rocket orbited the moon uh the distance from the moon was 69 miles there's no way jim lovell didn't make a joke about that there's definitely some 69 jokes getting thrown around while they were on the backside of the moon not knowing if they were going to die or not 36 minutes go by it's like houston this is apollo houston this is apollo and then out of nowhere you hear jim lovell's voice like hello apollo 8 huh Hello, Houston, this is Apollo. And then you hear Houston's reply to that is like, Hello, Apollo 8. Like you can hear 
how much the dude, everybody at home was worried about getting fired and, and killing these guys. You can hear in the response after they come around the moon for the first time, like, oh, hello, woo, look at it, we were totally sure that was going to happen, glad to, glad to be talking to you, woo, and in and doing all this research, when you watch interviews of all these old scientist dudes, Every one of these guys who worked on a different part of this mission has the same story after their part of the mission gets passed. Every one of them is like, yeah, I was really relieved that worked. Yeah, I mean, that was my part. My part was done. Like, the guys who made the F1 engines were like, yeah, we were glad that didn't blow up when it fucking went off. The guy for the second stage was like, yeah, I was glad those fuels didn't make out and kill everybody. Just it's so incredible that every every part of this is lined up so far. There's so many risks. Oh, so they're now they're chilling. They're orbiting around the moon. Everybody back home is like they didn't hit the moon. They're not in space. This is going farther than we thought. I'm telling you, fifty fifty. We're we're orbiting around the moon. Technically, the moon is American now. The moon is American. We got it. We're playing run the bases, dude. It's ours. Fuck yeah, man. I hope these guys don't die though, because they're still on TV. <laughs> so these dudes. Orbit the moon 10 times. And during this, this is when Bill Anders really shines because he doesn't have to land a lunar craft. So he's up there just to survey the moon, look for future landing sites, see how things can be used. But in doing this, he discovers coming around the moon, he just catches that like, oh, you can see the earth from here. And this will become one of the most famous photographs from the 60s and one of the most important photographs of all time. Bill Anders points his camera towards earth. Instead of the moon. And humans have never seen Earth from this perspective at all. It's just a tiny, gorgeous blue marble in a sea of complete black. And the only other thing you can look at looks like fucking Dante's Inferno underneath you. The moon is cold and dead and just sad and fucking yuck. But Bill Anders takes a picture of the moon and the photograph is so important because it gives, it just gives perspective on like, holy fuck, dude. That is just an island and all, everybody, everybody is on that. I don't give a fuck, but race, fucking religion, any of that shit, poor, rich, everybody's on this fucking thing. It's just an island in space and we're out here. It's an incredibly impactful photograph when it gets back to America. And I, and everybody feels that is like a sense of unity that comes from that photograph and from the mission in general. While they're up there, it's Christmas Eve. People are looking up at the moon and being like, God damn, dude, there are people flying around that fucking thing right now how crazy are how crazy am i that my problems are the most important thing to me right now it it lends perspective to every human on earth who hears about it again that's another thing you can't fucking pitch that in a budget meeting at the beginning of this you just got to pick a big fucking thing to do and you see what comes out of it that's great it's a unifying thing it's great man so they're circling the moon 10 times Christmas Eve. And so before they went up, NASA was like, "In look, guys, in the event that this mission gets this far, which it totally is, you guys aren't going to explode and die any number of terrible, horrific deaths. So after you orbit the moon a number of times, you're going to have to, we're going to want you to make a public statement on TV to the American public. So just have something ready. Have a set ready for that. And they don't tell them more than that what to say. They just trust these dudes to come up with. And these aren't writers. These are just military dudes. These are hard-nosed fucking Frank Borman, West Point. Frank Borman's not in touch with his creative side, right? So they figure out, but they have to say something to the American people. So when they come around the moon, famous American broadcast, it's Christmas Eve. The dudes didn't die. They, they swoop around the moon, radio contact, live broadcast. They read the book of Genesis from the Christian Bible. Which, if you don't know, the book of Genesis is the creation story about how God made the earth and man and saw it was good and all this stuff. And in my opinion, great pick on that one. Great pick on that one, even if you're not religious. Given it was 1968, America is much more of a Christian country at the time. It's Christmas Eve. I think it was a great workaround. If, I mean, if none of those dudes are really creative and you don't know what the fuck you're going to say, well, am I going to write a speech? I'm going to tell a joke. I mean, it, it lends, it lends gravitas to the whole event that everybody at home is watching, that these dudes are around the moon and they're reading the creation story from the Christian Bible. 
when they cut back to Walter Cronkite in the newsroom after they're done reading um, the book of Genesis, he's trying to choke back tears because it's just such a it's such a moment. It's such a moment to take in these guys. The I mean, the perspective that this lends and, and that's why it was such a great pick is that for a country that had a lot of Christians in it, it just it helped add to just the weight of the whole thing, man. The whole thing. Just forget about your own problems, man. When we get home, you got to see these pictures, dude. We are, we are on a fucking spaceship, dude, hurling through Earth. Just hurling through space. It just lends perspective to the whole thing. I think it was a great pick. Controversial because, I mean, nowadays more, less people are religious and... A lot of, I mean, religion is not cool for young people and stuff, but I think it was a great workaround. So societal impact, it it really fit in the moment. I I love the pick. I think that's a great pick. And it, it, you know what made Walter Cronkite cry when they go back? You can see the clip of Walter Cronkite like, oh, brave man. He's like trying to do the thing that dudes do, where they're like kind of <laughs> great. That clip of Walter Cronkite is – look it up, dude. Walter Cronkite, Apollo 8. Watch that dude try to hold back tears. Even if you're not into Christianity or religion of any sort, just appreciate the, the moment that those dudes created, the heaviness of that moment to be able to fuck up Walter Cronkite that he can't do his job great because it is so emotionally impactful. Great pick, dude. But they got to come home. They're not home yet. You know how bad it would be if that heavy moment happened and then these dudes blow up? They're still at the moon. They got to come home. We're not done yet, boys. And Frank Borman's wife knows this. Frank Borman's wife at this point pulls the head of NASA aside. And she's brass tacks with it. She got character. You know, she's still full of total babe energy. But, you know, hey, we're getting worried here. She pulls the head of NASA aside. And she's like, yo, shoot me straight. What are the chances these dudes get home right now? And the guy's like, "Uh, okay, how's how's 50-50? And Borman's wife takes a beat, and she's like, good. That suits me fine. Oh, total babe, dude. I'm 50-50. I got to see him again. That's fine. I appreciate your honesty. Thank you. Thank you for respecting my question and telling me the truth. Now I'm going to go worry about my husband until he's back on earth. God damn, do I miss him. Oh, I love this story so much. All right. But these boys are in space. They got to fire that last rocket. The same rocket that they fired to slow them down behind the moon that people didn't know, it's got to go off again, guys. This better fucking work here. And it's got to happen around the dark side of the moon again. So you're not going to have radio communication for it. So once again, these dudes are like, all right, we're coming around the moon. They're talking to NASA, and they're like, we're going to fire this fucking rocket off. We'll see you in 36 minutes. Either we're coming home or we fucking died, and I'm so sorry. It feels like we've had to do this a lot here. I can't believe how risky this has been. Holy fuck, dude. Hopefully I talked to you in a little more than a half hour. I'll see you. They're flying around the moon. Everybody's worried. It can still go wrong. It can still go wrong. There's still shit that can go wrong here and blow everybody up. And then that moment is worth nothing. And the moon is now a harbinger of death. The moon's reputation is still on the line here if these dudes fucking die. 36 minutes. Radio silence and everybody at home. There's footage of the of everybody, not just at Mission Control. They also have footage of Frank Borman's wife and Bill Anders' wife during this. Dude, I was watching that footage and it broke me up watching how concerned those just total babe energy, total babe energy, scrunching their face. They're dolled up. It's 68. They look great. They know they're going to be on TV. They can't hide how fucking scared they are for these 36 minutes. There's a shot of fucking Frank Borman's wife with her arms in front of her for no reason. And she's just tensing her forearms and scrunching her forehead because she misses her dude so much. Oh, my God. For 36 minutes, she has no idea what's happening. Nobody has any idea. Come on, dude. Come the fuck on. It's been so much. Just come home, dude. Ah, oh, so Houston's one-way conversation him after 35 minutes. Houston, this is... He, Apollo 8, this is Houston. Apollo 8, this is Houston. Apollo 8, this is Houston. And then they get back. Roger. Houston, this is Apollo 8. They're like, oh, we read you loud and clear. And this is when Jim Lovell, dude... Jim Lovell knows how to close a fucking show. Because after... Houston, this is Apollo 8. Everybody celebrates. Jim Lovell goes, This is Apollo 8. I'd like to confirm, there is a Santa Claus. Boom, dude. 
boom, fucking crushing. Jim Lovell had a closer plan. There is a Santa Claus, because everybody at home knows we're coming home, dude. We are coming home. There's a Santa. We're talking shit the whole way. I can't believe this worked. They they, they break Earth, the, the orbit of the moon. They're flying back to Earth. Everybody's elated, dude. You can see the, the footage of Frank Borman's wife going nuts, just thanking God. Her husband's coming home. Everybody's happy. It worked out. Houston, there is, we like to report, there is a Santa Claus. Boom, dude. What a line. What a fucking line. Jim Lovell. <sighs> and that is the story of Apollo 8. They land safely. Moon's claimed by America. But the whole world feels good about it. The whole world sees those pictures. Everybody gets a little bit more perspective on their problem. Guys, that's Apollo 8. That's the Apollo 8 mission. Do you think I was really, when I said that shit in the middle about everybody blowing up, did anybody get nervous? You know, you know, I'm not going to pick one where the whole fucking spaceship blows up out of nowhere. You know how sad that would have been? Oh my, if you're a new listener, listen back to King Tut, episode three, I think. Dude, Cheryl and Gary Munson made me so fucking sad. Cheryl Munson made me so sad. She died at the end of that. I'm not going to read you a story where the whole fucking thing blows up at the end. God, I'm not a monster. Oh. Anyway, Apollo 8, guys. Love the story. Love learning about it. I feel better. I know more about the rocket ship stuff, the history of America. Now, I just shout out to Total Babe Energy. You know what I'm saying? God damn. Getting them through it. Anyway, that's been episode eight of Oral Presentations. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, high school kids, again, if you are listening, Oral Presentations Podcast at gmail.com. Send me a book that you have to write a paper on, and I'll do all the scaffolding for you. I'm not going to write it for you. But I'm going to do all the scaffolding and all the research and shit and narrative lines and things that make you look really smart so that you have more time. If you're, if you're 18, I hope, because I, I can't talk to anybody under 18, I don't think. I just don't want to. Jesus Christ. Please be a high school senior and send me whatever book you have to write a paper on. I'll outline it. I'll put a bunch of work into it. But then you got to write it in your own voice because I can't. If I write it, it'll sound like I, I talk now. But if I give you the bones of it, you can just put some meat on that thing. Fucking easy A, dude. Don't worry about it. So send that to oral presentations podcast at gmail.com. I'll do an episode on that coming up. And uh, yeah, guys, thanks for listening. Everybody have a great fucking week. You know what I'm saying? I'll see you.